Hello, Bethel Church family. This is now the sixth home worship recording that I have done for all of you, and it's our sixth week apart. And it looks like it will be at least a couple more weeks until Governor Wolf and President Trump begin to reopen and reallow us to gather for worship. But the session and I are keeping an eye on those regulations, and we long to get back together. This separation is certainly having its cumulative effect on all of us as we have been apart from one another for a long time, as we have sensed this feeling of being apart from many others, not just within the church family. And so that sense of separation, that longing to get back together, that longing to return to normal life is what I want us to be thinking about as we come together in prayer. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we give thanks. We give thanks that You, O Lord, are our hope even in this time when we feel separated from one another. Lord, in speaking to many people, family and friends and church family, it has become clear that we are experiencing longing. A restlessness of wanting to get back to the things that we love Grandparents want to see their grandchildren again if they've not been able to, to be able to hold them and to hug them. Friends want to get together, whether they are friends from school, to be able to go and play on a playground together, or adult friends who just want to sit and have a meal together at their favorite restaurant. We as a church family long to get together to greet one another, to sing praises together, to partake of the Lord's Supper together, and to see one another in the flesh. We long for sports, to watch them and participate in them, and to see our kids and grandkids play them. We long to be able to get together in the ways that we so desire, and we feel this cumulative disruption. It is building on us, O God. And I pray, O Lord, that in the hardship and in the disruption that we are feeling, that you would give us this sense of longing, not just for the things of this life, but for the life to come, but for your kingdom, your eternal kingdom, O God. May we long for that, for your kingdom is unshakable, and our inheritance in your kingdom is imperishable. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see that which cannot be taken away. Give our hearts a longing to be with you and to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ for all eternity. May we long for Christ to return with a thirst, like a thirsty man looking for water. Lord, may that hunger and thirst to return to normal things be even stronger even a stronger thirst and hunger for heavenly things. Lord, we continue to pray that You would slow the spread of this virus and that You would heal the sick. Lord, protect the vulnerable. Comfort the anxious and those who are without work and in financial distress. Protect the healthcare workers and be with all those at home who are confined to their homes, who are dealing with various relational stresses in their lives. I pray, O God, that you would uplift your people and give us a joy that cannot be taken away because it is a joy in Jesus Christ. 
Father, we do pray for the leaders of our nation and in our state and our community that you would give them wisdom and discernment and patience as they seek to make wise decisions for the people. Bless them, O God. And we pray for us as a church and for other churches as well that you would give our leaders wisdom and discernment to know when to gather again for worship and what steps we need to take in order to worship well uh, in this time where a virus is spreading. So, Lord, give us that wisdom. And so, Father, we come today in prayer and we come even though we are not in the same place and even on the same day or at the same time, but we join, O Lord, in prayer to you and saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, last week we looked at Isaiah 54, which I described as part one of the good news that Isaiah gives to the people of Judah. That good news is only possible because of the true good news that we find in Isaiah 53, which describes the work of the suffering servant, the work of Jesus and his sacrificial death for us. And chapters 54 through 55 that follow right afterwards tell us why this is such good news for us. Chapter 54 was all about how we can find relational security with God because of his covenant love for us. He pledges his faithful love to us through the work of Jesus Christ. And so last week we thought a lot about good news in terms of what God does for us. But this week we see that the good news has a lot to say about what God does in us. Chapter 55 is part two of the good news that Isaiah brings. And it, it describes what I am calling personal transformation. The theological word for that is sanctification. It is the process of the Holy Spirit working in us to make us holy. God doesn't simply save us and leave us where we are. He saves us in Jesus and continues to work in us, changing us to be more like his son, Jesus. So if you would, please take your Bibles at home, wherever you are, and open up to Isaiah chapter 55 as we look at our sermon text for this week. Isaiah chapter 55, we'll be looking at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, 
and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you, shall, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You, O Lord, that Your Word is like the rain that comes and blesses us and blesses the earth and brings forth fruit and life. And so I pray that even through this medium of technology and not being together at the same time or in the same place, that you would use me in this awkward preaching to a camera. Holy Spirit, use your word so that we can hear your word. And Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive it as your word and bear that good fruit in us. May your word accomplish that which you want it to this week. Oh Lord, I ask Your help to proclaim Your Word, knowing that You, O oh God, are the one who changes hearts through Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the big idea I want us to hear in Isaiah chapter 55 today is that personal transformation is only possible through God's power changing our ways through the freely offered work of the Messiah. So personal transformation is only possible through God's power changing our ways through the freely offered work of the Messiah. And so we're going to think about personal transformation. We're going to examine the problem of personal transformation and the path to transformation. The picture of transformation and the promise that personal transformation is possible. And with that, I believe I just aced my alliteration exam. So first, let's consider the problem with personal transformation. We make many efforts at personal transformation. 
We try new diets and workout regimens in order to lose weight and to be healthy. We try to develop new habits or New Year's resolutions to be more productive or to be happier. We try at the beginning of a new school year to stop procrastinating and to study harder. We try each new quarantine day to be more patient with our children or to fix things up around the house. So the problem with personal transformation is not our desire to change. We want to clean ourselves up. We want to be able to say that we made ourselves better. The problem usually isn't our effort either. We do try to change. No, the problem is with our ability to change. How many times have we tried to change and felt that we failed ourselves? How many times have we been unhappy with our inability to do better? We want to change and we try to change, but we can't seem to do it. Verse 2 describes this inability to change, asking, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? We labor at changing ourselves, but we're never satisfied with our efforts. Isaiah recognizes this common failure and asks, Why are you working so hard when it never works out how you want it to? We think so much about change and we experience so little success. The history of Israel reflects this truth as well. Try as they may, God's sinful people never demonstrated an ability to change for the better. They kept falling into the same sinful patterns. And the book of Isaiah continues to raise this issue. How can God's sinful people truly change? How can they live as God's holy people and act as witnesses to the glory of God to the nations? Something has to change about our attempts to change. And so the problem with our attempts to change are that they are our attempts. As sinful people, we cannot get better in our own strength. We are unable to change in our strength because our ways are wicked and our thoughts are unrighteous. We need outside help. We need outside ways and thoughts. And in Isaiah 55, God provides the path to personal transformation, to real change. That path is clearly marked by repeated invitations to follow it. And these invitations call us to enjoy a great feast. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Isaiah compares our desire to change to hunger and thirst. We all sense a desire to live better because we feel that we've fallen short of our own standards. We thirst for personal betterment, but it is out of our reach. But God sets up a table for us and invites us to satisfy ourselves. 
He shows us this path to personal transformation and lays it before us as a table. And so I want to highlight quickly three elements of this path to personal transformation. First, this path is for everyone. Come everyone who thirsts. Personal transformation is not reserved for the most self-determined people. This invitation is available to everyone who feels the desire to change. The waters will not run dry after a few people drink from them. The banquet table has plenty of food for all. And it doesn't matter how many times you've previously failed to change. It doesn't matter if you are the most hopeless case. Everyone is invited to come and be satisfied. So the path is for everyone. Second, the path of personal transformation is free. Self-help books, gym memberships, and dieting plans are all very profitable businesses. They profit because people are willing to pay high prices for personal transformation. After all, if someone could write a check for $1,000 and immediately lose 10 pounds, don't you think a lot of people would be getting their checkbooks out? But God's invitation is free. Come, he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This path is not just discounted. It doesn't come with any kind of membership fee. It is truly free of charge. So the path is for everyone and the path is free. But third, this path must be followed. We must respond to this free invitation. Unlike the stimulus checks that were automatically deposited into our bank accounts, personal transformation does not automatically happen. And so Isaiah extends the invitation. Come! Eat! Drink! Personal transformation is possible by responding to God's invitation. And that is wonderful news. But the news requires a response. That's what Isaiah says in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God is not playing some game of hide and seek where he's trying to hide. No, he wants to be found. He is near. He invites us to respond. And so we must respond. We must respond because this personal transformation is not something extra for the Christian life, like getting the 99-cent cookie with your meal at Panera. It's not just a throw-in. The words of verse 3 sound anything but optional. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. This path of personal transformation leads to life. The option of refusing the banquet is a disaster. It is death because our ways are wicked and our thoughts are unrighteous. And that way leads to the wrath of God with natural consequences like the exile that God's people were facing and the eternal consequence of the torment of hell. But thankfully, God transforms those whom he saves. Even if that transformation seems slow, and incomplete. 
So if we feel our transformation is questionable, remember the words of the Apostle Paul who said, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The path of transformation does not end until Jesus returns or calls us home. And so Isaiah shows us this path to personal transformation. He invites all who hunger and thirst to come freely. He calls sinners like us to come to Him and live. For personal transformation is only possible by the power of God working in us. But what does this life of transformation look like? Isaiah helps us to see that picture of personal transformation by first telling us plainly what it looks like and then supporting that truth with helpful illustrations. The prophet plainly describes personal transformation or sanctification as a changing of our ways. He does that in verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We are called to repent of our ways and to turn to God's ways. See, we do not naturally follow God's ways, as we're told in verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need our ways and thoughts to be changed by someone outside of ourselves. We need our heart's desires to be fundamentally altered so that they are no longer enslaved to our sinful nature. We need an infusion of God's ways and thoughts. And so sanctification is that process where the Holy Spirit works in our hearts so they begin to more closely align God's Word instead of our old sinful ways. The Spirit works together with the Word to bring about this transformational change in us. For the Spirit shows us that we no longer have to obey God's Word in our own strength to become better people. Instead, we are told of God's compassion for sinners like us, that we are forgiven and accepted in Jesus Christ, and that we are being transformed by receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells us as Christians and works in us so that we grow to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And so just as we eat food and it nourishes us, so also the Spirit helps us to feed on God's Word and so be spiritually nourished. Isaiah then puts these truths into a helpful illustration from nature, describing God's amazing power to transform us. Here's what we read in verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprouts, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. As a preacher and teacher of God's Word, I love these verses because they tell me 
that God's word works. God's word works. Like rain, it brings the nourishment needed for life and fruitfulness, but it brings spiritual life and fruitfulness to God's people. God doesn't point us to seven steps of transformation or 12 key principles to live by. No, He points us to the powerful, life-giving Word. And when we feast on the Word of God, the Holy Spirit works in us to transform our ways and thoughts so that they more resemble God's ways and thoughts. The Word convicts us of our sin, leading us to repentance as we see our sin the way God sees it. The Word comforts weary sinners who need mercy, leading us to trust in God's grace. The Word teaches us wisdom through God's commands, guiding us to live as we were made to live. The Word of God is like that river flowing out of the temple in our Old Testament reading from, Isaiah, from Ezekiel 47. As the river touches the barren landscape, it brings forth lasting life and fruitfulness. God's Word functions that way today. As we read our Bibles individually, as we go to Bible studies or Sunday school classes or small groups and study the Bible together, it works that way as we hear the Word of God preached. See, that transformation that God's Word does is pictured in verses 12 through 13. And it is pictured as an undoing of the effects of the fall. It describes this picture of a transformed world characterized by joy and peace where all creation sings God's praises. And the very nature of creation is changed. Isaiah writes that instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. One of the curses for Adam's sin in the garden was that thorns and thistles would grow and make the land harsh. But God describes this picture of transformation. That thorns and thistles will not come up. But no, God is transforming to take away those effects of the fall. Not just in the plants, but in His people. This reversing of the curse is seen in part as God's sinful people live more like His holy people. As we obey His Word and delight in Him. The fullness of that transformation will wait until Jesus returns. But we can see the kingdom of God break forth into the here and now as God's powerful Word transforms His sinful people into holy, obedient people. So God tells us of this possible change. But how do we know it's truly possible? How do we know that the Lord will abundantly pardon sinners like us who have so feebly attempted to change? We are promised because of the everlasting covenant and the steadfast love, or as we talked about last week, the hesed that the Lord has for David. We see this promise of personal transformation in verses 3-5 through five of the chapter. Popping up in the middle of this invitation to come to God's table are these verses about King David. What does David have to do with God transforming his people 
to live holy lives. Well, throughout the book of Isaiah, the prophet has pointed to the need for someone descended from David and yet greater than David to come and be the king that God's people need. This promised king would come and rule with peace and justice and righteousness. He would lead the people to live as the holy people God wants them to be. And when David lived, he was a witness or a glimpse or a foretaste of how God could use a godly king for good. But this promised king to come, this Messiah, would expand God's kingdom and his blessings far beyond what David ever accomplished. And so this promised Davidic Messiah is linked to the servant of the Lord of Isaiah 53 and his sacrificial death. You see, it is in the Messiah that we can seek the Lord because he is near to us by taking on human flesh. It is in the Messiah that we can come to the waters and be satisfied at no cost to ourselves because the Messiah has paid the cost by dying for our sins. It is in this Messiah whom we know to be Jesus Christ that God abundantly pardons us so that we can return to the Lord and our souls can live. Real personal transformation is not possible just because we try harder to be better. Transformation is only possible through the power of God and that power is poured out on us like rain in the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We are told in the Word that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be restored to God, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit who works in us to sanctify us so that we delight to obey God's Word and so that His ways become our ways. But you may hear all of this talk about transformation. And you may say to yourself, but I've tried. I've tried to be better. I can't put on those virtues of compassion and humility and kindness and forgiveness and love that Paul talks about in our New Testament reading from Colossians 3. I want the Spirit to sanctify me, but I keep failing. Do not fear. Take heart. For what you are describing is the very thirst and hunger which God wishes to satisfy with His Word. For in that same New Testament reading where Paul tells us to put on those virtues, he also says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Know that you are not saved based on how quickly your transformation is happening, but you are saved in the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ for you. And so return to the word, the very power of transformation. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it rain down on you. For it is the word of God and the power of the spirit that has the power to transform sinners like us into God's holy and obedient people. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. 
not just because it is a rule book for us to follow, but because it tells us of such great good, great news, of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I pray, O oh God, that You would help the peace of Christ to rule our hearts. That just because we are struggling to live holy lives, that we would not give up or think we are lost causes, but that we would seek the Lord and return to Him and know that He is compassionate and will abundantly pardon us. And to let the Word reign on us every day so that it can transform us by the power of the Spirit. And so, Lord, uplift us and help us dig into the Word by reading it. Help us to study it together. Help us to hear the Word of God rightly preached and taught, O Lord. Help the Word to shape us and change us so that our ways come to more resemble Your ways. In Jesus' name, Amen.